everyone, and welcome to another beer news. There we go. It's been a while, hasn't it? And I've been, I usually quite enjoyed doing the previous ones, but I've just been so busy, and I've also was waiting for other news to kind of come out. It's maybe a bit more interesting and also a bit more varied from around the world as well, rather than just all being kind of UK based. So let's kind of kick off with the first one that we've got, and it's a bit of a sad one. It's basically about Anka Brewing Company, um, which was America's oldest craft brewery, um, shut after 127 years. Now, the beer maker founded in San Francisco in 1896 that promotes itself as America's first craft brewer is closing its doors or has closed its doors. And uh, Anka Brewing Company said it would cease operations and liquidate the business, pointing to years of falling sales. Japanese brewing giant Sapporo, uh, which purchased Anchor in 2017, said efforts to revive the brand had failed and had been dubbed a godfather of America's craft beer renaissance. Now, there's another story that's going to be linked to this later on. But uh, what do you think? Do you think it's a, it's a big loss for the American kind of uh, brewing industry and... Uh, A kind of testament to where things are going in the US is it basically that uh, people are more into the kind of mainstream beers rather than the kind of uh, smaller kind of like you say kind of craft-esque kind of uh, breweries um, obviously we've got the new style kind of uh, craft breweries in the US but uh, and the kind of smaller micro ones, but what about the kind of older, kind of uh, historic breweries? Um, do you think it's a great loss them being uh, going out of business, or do you think it's just the nature of the beast and uh, it's happening everywhere and people are just going for the easy option of the cheap mainstream piss water? So let us know if you've got any thoughts on that. The next one we have is uh, beer drinkers are being hit by a double whammy. So it's, well, they all like a double whammy, I know I do. Can I have one in a minute? Yeah. But yes, apparently a double whammy of having to pay more to get the same buzz as drinkflation bites. Now this is a new term that they're kind of pushing now is drinkflation. It's all these kind of buzzwords and clickbait words and all this nonsense. So basically, while pub landlords slam brewers who are sneakily cutting alcohol in the beer. So we're being hit by two sides. We're being hit by basically tax and duty rises on alcohol. And of course, we're also being hit whereas some of the, the brewers are reducing the alcohol content of some of the beers because well we'll cover that later on in more detail but apparently they're doing it for for the betterment of their customers but yes so apparently british beer lovers are being hit by a double whammy of paying more to get the same buzz as brewers slash the strength of booth while pocketing millions of pounds saved on tax for months major producers have been lowering the strength of their lagers to save cash the government prepares to raise taxes on alcohol by more than 10% in August. Um, now landlords have hit out at the plummeting strength of booths as they warned of fresh financial time bomb that could drive punters away from pubs, potentially leaving boozers with no other option but to call last orders for a final time. Now, not long ago, I think it was only not last weekend but the weekend before, I was out with a friend and uh, I noticed a hell of a difference because we were in Wetherspoons initially and the average cast pint we were getting there, um, one was a Henley Stout, one was an Otterbright Ale and the other one was a, oh it was a Green King one, Ruddles, Ruddles Best. 
and none of them were over £2.55 a pint. So that's a big jump because I had a Timothy Taylor on the same night from another pub and it was over a fiver. It was £5.15 and you're thinking, seriously? I mean, I know obviously you could turn around and say, yeah, Timothy Taylor's a better pint, but not by that much. So there isn't, you know, it's just crazy. And uh, yeah, it's quite annoying from that point of view. And maybe the pubs have a point that uh, they're blaming the brewers. But I would only blame the brewers so much. Maybe dropping the the alcohol content maybe plays its part. But it also comes down to what you're actually charging for a pint. Now, it's all relative. The more you charge, well, I think probably the less people probably drinking unless they're going there for other reasons but if they're going there for the booze and then if you're charging too much for it, then people ain't going to go yeah well that's my view anyway i mean sometimes people will go there because food's good or something else and things like that or just it's a nice environment you can sit out and maybe get a nice beer garden or something like that or maybe got a nice play area for kids or something so there's a few different reasons why people will go to the pub but if you're going there for a good pint and you're charging too much for it regardless of the alcohol content then my view is you're charging too much people ain't going to go regardless of how good the beer is just because well you're ripping the piss i mean people are suffering all over the place um, financially so if you're charging more regardless of the alcohol content of the beer if you're charging too much for a pint of it then in my view and my experience of people that I know and have drunk with in the past, they would say, well, no. If, you're, if people feel they're being ripped off or you're ripping the piss with the price, then people aren't just going to go anymore. They're going to think, well, you're ripping the piss. I'm going to go somewhere else. So there you go. What do you think? Do you think the price of beer is getting too much? Do you think some pubs are ripping the piss? Or do you think the brewers are kind of uh, playing silly buggers and trying to kind of profiteer a bit? Let us know. Tell us what you think. Now the next one is, it's again a wee bit of a sad one, there's not many positives, unfortunately, in the beer news. That was another reason why it took me so long to do another one, is because you're sitting there thinking, is there any happiness in this fucking industry? You know, everything's just going to the wall and, you know, you're either getting screwed, fucked, ripped over, pissed off, or things are just shutting. You know, it's like, <laughs> such a happy time. <laughs> but yes, here's another one. Um, beer lovers shouldn't lose faith in Trappist breweries just yet. Now, this is a basically a news story regarding not just Belgium, but also in other areas. There is Trappist breweries in other countries, Austria being one, Belgium, of course. There was even one, only one in the whole of the US, and unfortunately that shut as well. And this is what's happening, that uh, seems to be that some of the Trappist breweries just because the age of the brewing staff and everything else because they're also trappist monks um are just kind of retiring and they're not really being replaced so yes so in an area dominated by lagers hazy ipas and non-alcoholic beers trappist brews have remained a small but quintessential part of the global craft beer experience even as their existence is threatened due to factors like the rising cost of ingredients and an ageing workforce, the handful that remain continue to churn out some of the most iconic beers in the world. The number of Trappist breweries in operation around the world tends to fluctuate, but they are typically never more than 13 or so at a given time. So that's where we're at just now is, unfortunately, we're dropping below that level. And like you say, as an example, America has lost theirs completely. So they only had one and it's now shut. So they don't have any Trappist beer being made in the US. And of course, obviously, we lost a couple in Austria. And I think we lost a couple in Belgium. So again, do you think that Trappist beer and Trappist brewing still has a place in the world you think basically people have moved on and it's just one of the things that maybe should remain in the past i mean how often do you drink trappist beers 
when was the last time you had one? Do you really even when you're in the, the supermarket or any other place where you buy beer, do you consider them as part of your your choice and options when you're looking to what you're going to be buying? And this is the situation is that also with Trappist beers they're usually of a higher alcohol content and because of that they're usually at a more premium price as well. And is that another thing that maybe they're just becoming uh, too expensive and too out of, the, the, out of reach of normal people just because of other financial constraints that's happening at the moment and the prices being up in other areas of life. So yeah, I mean, I like Trappist beers, but I'm a bit different because obviously when I buy beers, it's for different reasons and a lot of it's to do with reviews. And a lot of times that the beers I drink for pleasure or from a more social point of view, quite a lot of it is the leftovers that I've got because maybe I had to buy multiples or if I bought a keg to do a review, then again, I'll only need a glass for the review. So again, I'm just working my way through finishing off because I don't like to waste it. Um, obviously, if I do a review and it turns out to be a bad beer that goes down the sink and I've got other ones left, then I'll try and think of other ways how I can get rid of them. You pop around and see a friend and, and dump them on them and that type of stuff. Oh, I'll put some beers for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we don't need any just now. Nice to have a break. Yeah, you can for yourself. If you haven't seen the review. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> but yeah. So again, yes, obviously when I go in there, I'm always looking for something different, something new or something I haven't tried. So of course, everything is kind of open, less so craft beer to a certain degree. If they've got gaudy kind of uh, tins or cans, you know, stupid artwork on it and silly colours, and then I try to kind of avoid them as much as possible. And if they say hazy, then well, there you go. It's like, you say hazy, I just say cloudy piss. But... A lot of times is the case, especially if it's more Trappist beers, if they're there and something different or something I haven't tried, then yeah, they are just as a viable option for me to buy as anything else. But what's it like from your side? Do you buy them? Are you interested in them or is it a case of don't give a fuck, don't drink them, shove them up your ass? <laughs> so, <laughs> let us know what you think. Now... Now we've got another one here. Now, it's kind of two stories in one. Now, first of all, Carlsberg UK has confirmed that Marsden's pedigree is no longer bottle conditioned. And they say the decision has been taken in the light of declining demand for bottle conditioned beers. Maybe more of there's a kind of a, a fallen demand for, for shitty beers. And pedigree has gone down over the years in quality to the point is that a lot of people don't drink them like they used to and uh, it's nowhere near the beer it used to be so maybe it's down to that maybe it's not down to well people aren't buying bottle condition no people aren't just buying your, your piss water anymore because you've fucked about with it so much that nobody wants to drink it and this is the other company well the, the other side of it that the same company has, uh, is griping and whining because uh they try to sell their uh, brewery setup in Russia, and just before they actually managed to kind of get everything settled and value everything, and then put it on the market, just before that happened, um, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin basically uh, <laughs> passed the bill that basically uh, confiscated it and brought it into under the control of the state. So they've lost their uh, brewery setup. They can't sell it, and uh, they're now kind of beating and whinging, thinking this is dreadful. Well, it's nice to see somebody getting screwed, and especially the likes of Carlsberg, because you've been screwing your punters uh, for years with your piss water. So it's nice to see you getting screwed back. I don't really want to see uh, Vladimir Vladimirovich uh, Putin. Uh, Gain anything because he's a little shit as well, but uh, let's be totally honest. Um, nobody else is going to basically screw Carlsberg over because hey, 
for some strange reason, these people can, these breweries can screw everyone else, but nobody seems to screw them. They get away with it. Now. So it's nice to see that uh, that's happening. But what do you think? Do you think pedigree has uh, gone down in quality? And do you think people uh, aren't really particularly bothered with bottle conditioned beers anymore? Do you think it's just a kind of a bit of a fad now? Or, or do you even really notice a difference a lot of time with bottle conditioned beers compared to just standard filled bottles? Is it just a bit of a gimmick now because it's not really actually providing anything more to the product? And uh, what do you think about Carlsberg? Do you think Carlsberg's getting what they deserve? Do you think it's the cases of karma coming back on them and, uh, well, you bunch of arseholes, you're getting what you deserve? Or do you think it's a travesty that they're being screwed over by the Russian state? <laughs> well, I think you know what my opinion is going to be on that. Not bad, not bad. Top up. Oh, that's it. That was more like a... Right. Now, what do we have here? Oh, Christ, we've got Guinness now basically bumping their gums and having to be whining and crying now, eh? That's a shame, eh? Right. Another company that, uh, let's just say, they're, maybe they're, they're not the... The honest, uh, well-meaning company they try to kind of portray themselves. But apparently water crisis threatens supply of Guinness and other drinks. Diageo wants. Drinks giant used 17 billion litres of water across its group operations last year. Guinness owners Diageo, the world's biggest spirits company, is worried that climate change is going to make scarce the one ingredient that's essential for making all of its alcoholic drinks. Water. Water security poses the most significant climate change-related risk for the maker of Guinness, Baileys and Tanqueray gin. According to Michael Alexander, Global Head of Water, Environment and Agricultural Sustainability at Diageo, which had 43 sites globally in water-stressed areas last year, you could be with the most efficient brewer or distillery in the world. Mr. Alexander said in an interview, but it's still not going to mitigate your risks if there's a drought. Now, yes, to a certain degree. And unfortunately, if you're relying on um, what we call more public water supplies, then of course, being in a drought area, that can be an issue or a problem. So if you're basically working on a main system or you're having a, a dedicated feed, from a publicly owned or managed system, then yes. And when I say publicly owned, I basically mean it doesn't matter if it's basically controlled by a private water company, it's still what we call public infrastructure. So if you're kind of linked to a public infrastructure for your water supply in your brewing or spirits production, then you're going to have to take that off with the smooth. That's just reality, because the problem is, though, is water companies haven't been investing in the infrastructure. They've been working with antiquated uh, infrastructure for years, pipe work, reservoirs and everything else. The thing is, though, if you have a drought, like down here where we are, we're okay in this area of Devon, but Cornwall's basically been in uh, a hosepipe ban and uh, a water restriction area for quite some time. And you have southwest water down here complaining and moaning, oh yes, we've got to do everything to save water. Well, how about you taking some of the profits instead of basically handing them over to your shareholders the dividends, is retaining some of them back and actually improving the infrastructure, like building more reservoirs, improving the existing infrastructure for water pipes and everything else. And obviously, Start resolving some of these leaks that have been going on for years and years that have basically never been dealt with properly and efficiently. So you're wasting water through your leaks. You've done nothing to improve your infrastructure. And if you're a company that relies on water and you're relying on the public infrastructure for your water, then you are leaving yourself wide open. I remember back in one of my early days and... Uh, it was a local distillery, and uh, what they did, and this was William Grant's son, 
and it was their giving distillery. But they also did it in their other distilleries as well, but they realised that water was a big issue. And they also realised that uh, when they were going to start selling off the state-run water system and privatise it, they knew that eventually there were going to be issues or problems because they knew that it's a case so that profits are more important than having a well-run, efficient company uh, that's providing a good product to the customer. So what they did was they did a lot of investment into boreholes. So they took themselves off. So they were only really utilising the public water for their washbacks and everything else. They were getting really good quality water through their uh, boreholes, but they also did the investigation and the water table and everything else. And of course, by monitoring that, they could obviously uh, control their uh, reliance on their boreholes so they weren't affecting the water table too much around about the distillery. So again, it's all down to good management, but they invested in their uh, water infrastructure and didn't just rely on the public system. Now, if Guinness and Diageo haven't done that, then you've got to kind of look at them. But in saying that, a lot of Diageo distilleries are in bigger cities and in more industrial areas of these cities that uh, they might not be able to do boreholes and anything else. So again, you've got to kind of look at it. If you've got a big factory inside an industrial area of a city, then you've kind of trapped yourself from that point of view. So you've got to take some responsibility. And I think one of the responsibilities, you're going to have to invest in your own infrastructure. You can't rely on other private companies to do it for you. And well, this is the reward of it, is that these companies, especially the water companies, haven't been investing. They've been basically milking it for years. Uh, and what do you think? Who do you think basically should take responsibility for their own water supply, especially if you're more reliant on water compared to other industries? You've got to be realistic. And, well, Guinness and uh, Diageo, we'll stop bleating and actually do something about it. You're certainly making enough money to do it. So start spending some, is my view. Right, now... The rise in UK breweries going bust amidst, amid thirst for cheaper craft beers. Now, this is a thing in the UK. Now, this seems to be something that's happening in the UK right now. And people think that this could also happen in America. And there's a bit of a story about that because obviously the Anchor Brewing Company um, went out of business. But they think that that could be a catalyst of this something could similarly happen in America. But in the UK right now that uh, 45 breweries, mostly smaller makers, enter, have entered insolvency in the last 12 months, up from 15 the previous year. So the number of UK breweries going out of business has tripled in the past year, with smaller craft beer manufacturers most at risk as... Fucking ambulance, did you hear that? Jesus God, we're getting everything today. We've had some arsehole with his fucking exhaust blowing like a bastard in his old fucking astra. And now we've basically got some bugger taking a clutch and requiring an ambulance. But anyway, the smaller craft, well, the fucking dog's now joining it. <laughs> Seriously, we're having great fun here, eh? Fucking heckled by the fucking wildlife. <laughs> but anyway. Um, where was I? So yes, it's tripled in the past year with smaller craft beer manufacturers most at risk as consumers opt for cheaper options during the cost of living crisis, according to research. In total, 45 breweries entered insolvency in the last 12 months, ending the 31st of March, compared with 15 in the previous year, according to the most recent official insolvency, insolvency service statistics. It's not easy to say. Analysed by Mazars, an audit, tax and advisory firm. Mazars said more beer makers were likely to go bust as a competitive market and the squeeze on consumers' spending continued to affect sales. Well, I think, yeah, from my point of view, in my opinion, I think, yes, there is a situation where people want better value. I mean, nobody wants to buy a 330ml can and pay £3 plus for it. 
regardless of how much fucking ops is in it. I mean, let's be realistic. To a certain degree, there's got to be a bit of volume. I mean, people don't don't sip beer like the sip of whiskey or a gin. You know, there's got to be a bit of volume. That's why most beer glasses are usually a lot bigger than all the rest, is because we do tend to drink beer by a bit more volume than any other drink, maybe apart from wine. So, on that basis, if regardless of flavour, if people are getting less for their money or paying too much for little volume, then we need to try and look elsewhere and try and maybe get a better deal. And I think also a lot of these smaller breweries, they're not exactly well run. They've been quite badly managed and quite naive. And they started up when things were good, but didn't make any uh, provisions for when things go bad or when things aren't so good or aren't so kind of uh, buoyant. And of course, with any economic downturn, then of course, if you're in the kind of more leisure and entertainment side of it, like, like beer, then yeah, they're the kind of first ones to kind of suffer. So they have to be kind of more realistic and a lot of them haven't made any provisions and they've been riding that crest of the wave and when the wave has started to die down, they're kind of thinking, oh, oh things are so expensive now. Yeah. And uh, also, you should have maybe diversified and made other beers that are a bit more cheaper as well instead of just keep making high-end craft beers with lots of hops and a lot of expensive ingredients and then sell them for a high price. Well, maybe you should have also done some more kind of traditional style beers at kind of more normal prices and uh, build up a bit of a market for that as well. So as the case is always your craft beer sales are dropping because of they're a bit too expensive, you've still got the more kind of traditional cheaper ales to fall back on. But you haven't done that. You've been one trick ponies. And it's like, you know, well, let's make a fucking citrus IPA, citrus IPA, citrus IPA. You've seen them. Hundreds of them. You go into the supermarket, all with their gaudy cans and everything else and their stupid artwork and all this type of stuff. Well, you didn't do a traditional beer. And of course, guess what? People are out buying traditional beers and lagers and everything else. They're not out. And of course, even when you did, and some of them did do normal lagers, what did you do? Oh, you made stupid high-end ones, and again, shitty cans at a ridiculous price. I mean, you believe yourself to blame. So, yeah, my view is. Plus, I think also to some people that maybe the fad, because I think, especially with the, the last story we've got, I think basically people are maybe kind of waking up to the craft beer industry and kind of realising that uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Well, some of them are making good beers and taking things seriously. I think other ones are kind of ripping the piss to a certain degree. So uh, what do you think about that? But we'll cover a wee bit more of that in the, in the last story. So we've got something, well, I don't know if this is a good kind of story or not. I don't know if this is something to be happy about. But apparently Camden Town Brewery launches more refreshing stout. So the London-based brewery has announced that the launch of Camden Stout, having tweaked the recipe Get out! Bloody cats, come in! <laughs> Jesus! Holy shit! Bloody cat coming in here. Little bastard. It's all happening today, isn't it? It's all happening. But anyway, apparently London-based brewery has announced that the launch of the Camden Stout, having tweaked the recipe of its previous dark beer to introduce a new, more refreshing version to liven up the stout category. Camden Stout has been made available exclusively in the on-trade, adding to Camden Town Brewery's on-premises portfolio alongside Camden Hills and Camden Pale Ale. The North London Brewery has developed the new stout off the back of its previously poured dark Camden Ink stout, but has chosen to tweak the recipe over the last few years to create a fresher, dark beer. Now, have they actually changed the recipe to actually really improve the beer? Because I usually find that a lot of times when they change the recipe, it's usually not to improve the beer. It's usually to make the beer more profitable or to save money. I think what they call it now is 
adding value is the term they like to use. So we're adding value by basically making it more profitable. And usually to make it more profitable is to usually to take things out or use cheaper ingredients. So I don't know. Have you tried it? Do you know anything about it? Have they made it better? Do you think they have made it better? Do you think by changing the recipe they were doing it to make it better? Or do you think it was just to save money and uh, kind of increase profits? What do you think? Known by the price of Camden Town beer and what it tastes like and some of the crap they've come out with, like the cross between a Pilsner and a Hell's, Hellas Lager, and you're thinking, yeah, it's not a Hellas Lager and it's not a Pilsner, it's just something you can find between that doesn't really serve any purpose, but you'll charge a silly pistol of money for a shitty wee can. So I think there might be a bit of profiteering going on here rather than actually, or maybe just trying to kind of revive interest in a beer that wasn't doing so good. So yeah. Now we've got another sad one as well. So apparently, um, pausing Worthington's White Shield described as a travesty. So Brewer Molson Coors' decision to pause the production of the legendary IPA, Worthington's White Shield, has been described as a travesty. As initially reported on the social media by great British beer guide veteran, beer writer, Roger Protz, who was regularly written about Wallington and Burton brewing history, Molson Coors had said it was would now be pausing production of the beer. Uh, Roger Protz was quoted saying, if there is any reason to discontinue it, that can only be down to Molson Coors failing to understand the jewel in their crown and not knowing what to do with it. For years, people who aren't even that into beer have been asking me where they can get it and why it's less visible than it used to be. This has nothing to do with changing consumer trends or consumer demand. It is a business and marketing incompetence. So there you go. He's now basically mincing his words. Um, so apparently Molson Coors had put significant investment into the brand around a decade ago with a focus on button brewing history. In 2010, it spent £1 million upgrading the William Worthington microbrewery at the National Brewery Centre on Burton-on-Trent to produce White Shield, which had already proven successful winning champion bottled beer of Britain, a prize it would win again in 2011. So it won it in 2010 and it won it in 2011. But in 2015, a decision was made to outsource the Heritage Centre's brewing operation who bought in an experienced ex-bass brewer before the entire National Brewery Centre was closed altogether in 2022 despite Molson Coors being able to brew White Shield as a brand owner at its main site or elsewhere. It had previously done in the 2000s. It has now decided to pause the, plan, the brand completely. So what do you think of that? Do you think it's a big loss? Um, I actually found it actually not a bad beer. And I don't like to hear, you know, a decent beer being discontinued. Especially when you've got all these, I think it is a travesty because you've got all these other piss waters basically still being churned out and you think, oh, what the fuck? Seriously? That isn't good for the beer industry. A good beer goes and we still get the same piss water still being churned out and sold. Why, why not get rid of some of them? <sighs> but yeah, what do you think? Have you tried White Shield IPA? What do you think? Do you like it? Do you think it's not a great loss? What's your views? Now, here's another strange one. Now, I know by the few of uh, my regular viewers might not be happy about this. I know probably one that might not be happy about this. And this is about Timothy Taylor's and Thornbridge Ready Collab Beer launch. Two of Britain's most revered breweries, Timothy Taylor's and Thornbridge, have united to release a much-anticipated pale ale this month, i.e. the month of August. The partnership brings together West Yorkshire's Timothy Taylor's, known for its hugely popular flagship ale, Landlord, with Derbyshire-based Thornbridge, known for its award-winning IPA, Jai Brewer, in a union that marks Timothy Taylor's first-ever collaboration beer in its 165-year history. What is it about Thornbridge right now? Because you've had... Thornbridge doing a collaboration with Budweiser Budvar, which again is the first time Budweiser Budvar has ever done a collaboration with any other brewery. 
and now you've got Timothy Taylor doing it. What, what is this? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a strange one, you know. It's, uh, there's something about Thornbridge that, that we don't know, you know. It's just a kind of a strange one, you know. Why these breweries are now suddenly doing collaborations and they seem to be picking Thornbridge. Now I will be covering a bit more on Thornbridge because I will be doing a review of the <laughs> the beer that they did as a collaboration with Budweiser Budvar called Checkmates and uh, it's about, going to be a bit interesting kind of looking at it from the point of view of what other reviewers are actually saying and what I know about the beer there seems to be a kind of a miscommunication or misunderstanding that certain reviewers seem to think it's uh, more closely linked to the Czech Republic and Czech beer than, than what it really is but we'll cover that in the review but yeah so what, what do you think with this situation with Thornbridge why is it suddenly so popular you know the, maybe it, there's a shit taste of, a shit taste of chocolate or something I mean <laughs> but anyway um, what are they saying? Speaking to the drinks business, Thornbridge CEO Simon Webster said, having drunk and enjoyed Landlord long before Thornbridge had even started brewing, it's been fantastic for myself and the team to be involved in their first ever collaboration. The new beer, which is going to be a 4.2 ABV elderflower and gooseberry pale ale named Artisan. I don't know, I just seem to have this urge to do the kind of Shake the beans, kind of Nescafe wave, as we used to call it in Scotland. Um, artisan, seriously, for fuck's sake. Was brewed at Thornbridge Brewery and will be available across the UK in cask, keg and 440ml can across both on and off trade. So there you go. So 4.2, but elderflower and gooseberry pale ale, does it sound appetising? Or do you think of the actual name, artisan? Do you think it's a bit arty-farty or do you think, yeah good name tells it exactly what it is and uh strange how it's a collaboration but it's being brewed again by thornbridge but what is this is thornbridge dropping their panties and just basically offering maybe ridiculous um how would you say uh offerings are they maybe offering cheap um brewing costs or whatever to try and kind of entice these collabs because Budweiser Budvar, their collab with Thornbridge and again Thornbridge is actually doing all the brewing and now it's a case of with Timothy Taylor and they're really close, they're not that far away and again Thornbridge is going to be doing it so I mean is it, maybe maybe it's a case that Thornbridge is trying to keep their brewery going because maybe production volumes are down because of sales and they're trying to kind of, you know, well, pick up the slack by maybe doing some collabs with other well-known breweries, but they're doing it because they're trying to keep their volumes up. Maybe it's that. And by keeping these volumes up, then of course they can still keep buying the same volume of raw ingredients and still get them at the same price. I mean, it could be something like that. It could really be just down to a business decision just to try and kind of keep things ticking over when things are a bit in a downturn. So I don't know. But uh, we'll probably will review that beer um, at some point. It'll be interesting to see what it's like. I'll be totally honest, it doesn't sound particularly appetising by elderflower and gooseberry. Because gooseberry is quite a, quite a sharp, tart taste. Um, I wouldn't say bitter. I'd say quite tart, a bit like kind of like rhubarb, raw rhubarb and things that can be quite tart. Is tart something we really want in a pale ale? It's not really kind of uh, floating my boat by the sounds of it, but we'll see what it's like. Um, be interesting. But what do you think? Do you think this is a good idea? I know obviously a lot of people don't like Thornbridge just because of their potential dubious practices and uh, and uh, let's just say utilising uh, certain kind of uh, relief processes to help businesses out. Um, uh, accusations that they're taking advantage of this uh, maybe in not a kind of honest and open way 
again only allegations nothing's really been proven yet and things like that but i always find there's never any kind of smoke without some sort of fire so but yes what do you think do you think this is going to be a good thing with timothy taylor and thornbridge doing a collab i hope to god it goes better than the checkmates because the checkmates what they were selling it for and what they're still selling it for on the website is ridiculous three pound a can or 33 pounds for for 12 is what they're charging or you can get 20 cans and a and a ponzi kind of budweiser budfire glass for 50 quid so they're kind of ripping the piss when they're selling it on their website so is this again going to be another one where it's going to be sold on the website for a ridiculous price right here's another thing as well this is basically the kind of the last couple of stories now this is to do with america now because of the anchor brewing company shut down people are thinking that or or speculating that the craft beer industry in America is kind of oversaturated and it's kind of hit its tipping point and this is now where basically we're going to have a downturn in the American kind of craft beer industry where the smaller breweries are going to end up going out of business because there's too many breweries producing too many products and with the economic downturn the market's kind of shrinking and it's not going to remain buoyant enough to support all these breweries so what it basically says anchor brewing's shutdown was only the beginning as america's oldest craft brewery closes tough times might be ahead for craft beer the announcement that anchor brewing would be closing this month was a shocking moment for the american beer industry for the past few decades beer in the united states had enjoyed its golden age with local and regional breweries multiplying exponentially with the overall variety and quality of beer available to your average drinker vastly improving from the microbrew dominated days of the 1980s and 90s. The driver of all this was craft beer, which saw years of double-digit growth from the 2010s as the number of micro and regional breweries increased nearly fivefold from 2000 at the beginning of the pandemic. Anchor was always an outlier in craft beer. It was over 100 years old, yet as a formerly independent brewery that gained national prominence, it had symbolised the new millennium's movement away from beer moths like Coors and Anheuser-Busch, which we already know what's happening with them right now. They really are still taking a hit for their uh, poor marketing decisions and uh, even poorer decisions of trying to rectify it, thinking that doing some sort of crappy kind of patriotic advert would bring drinkers flooding back to the Bud Light and other Bud products. Whereas I think people were looking at more of a kind of an apology. But uh, anyway, so now as it's, but now just as ascent, ascent tracked with the rise of craft beers, Anchor's closing seems to herald a new and rocky era for the industry. After decades of heady growth, the craft beer market appears to appears close to complete oversaturation and while it's impossible to predict where things will head it seems like the industry is due for a culling anchor was only the beginning so yes a lot of people in the US that obviously know a lot more about the market than I do think that uh, it's oversaturated and this is the kind of tipping point and uh, yes quite a few of these craft beer breweries are going to end up start going to the wall just because of the market's going to constrict and yeah there's going to be casualties from that like we're kind of getting in uh, the uk right now they expect that a similar thing is going to happen in the us and how do you feel do you think there is too many craft beer breweries especially the micro breweries and all this and uh, do you think that maybe i don't know about america but i know obviously in the uk we actually had obviously a change in uh the licensing and uh, the duty, especially for volume production. So if your volume was below a certain amount, then you paid a lot less in duty for your product. So of course it made it more sustainable for smaller breweries. But again, there was bigger breweries that used to take advantage of this by basically getting smaller breweries to produce some of their uh, brands so they could basically get them at a lower duty rate and things like this and uh, just making a mockery of uh, 
the change in regulations to help smaller breweries. So I don't know whether something like this has happened in the US, but obviously in the UK, that's also played a part, whereas a few of the microbreweries have kind of sold their souls for the easy buck from the kind of bigger breweries and things like that. So, and all these type of things haven't helped the craft beer industry. Um, and obviously our next story is definitely going to kind of highlight that in the UK, but is America the same? Is America basically, well, there's just too many of the same beers. I mean, how many IPs do you really need? And if you have loads of beers that all kind of taste roughly the same, is it maybe that not only is the price too high, but the variety isn't really there either. It's just the kind of same old, same old. Oh God, look, another IPA, another hazy IPA, another West Coast, another APA. Oh God, you know, it's like that type of situation. And that's what we were getting a lot in the UK. But also, with some of the breweries ripping the piss, especially with some of the concoctions that we're going out. I mean, obviously, in the UK, we have BrewDog coming up with all manner of strange concoctions, but we've also different ones as well, like um, Siren. They've done some strange concoctions. So we've had a few breweries that have done strange concoctions over the years and strange kind of flavour profiles around about the kind of IPA and pale ale to the point is that you're thinking seriously. And that I try and avoid reviewing BrewDog because I'll be totally honest, some of the beers and their flavour profiles are absolutely bloody awful. Absolutely awful to the point is that I do feel that they're ripping the piss. That is taking the piss out of uh, craft beer drinkers. Thank you. <laughs> Here's another strange fucking flavour. You'll love that because you're fuckwits. I mean, that's what it feels like sometimes. And no more than uh, the next story. Because apparently, Aunt Bessie's flavoured beer available at Morrison's. Apple crumble, roast dinner, sticky toffee pudding are the flavours of Morrison's latest unbeer livable new product. The supermarket has launched a new four-pack of beers containing flavours from Aunt Bessie's Northern Monk Brewery. So you've got the apple crumble custard, apple crumble and custard paleo, roast dinner, brown ale, and sticky toffee pudding and custard porter, which is currently exclusive to Morrison's as the newest flavours to hit the shelf. Um, beers are available from just over £2.50, the new flavours were inspired by the overwhelming response received by the Aunt Bessie's Northern Monks Jam, Roly, Poly and Custard Pale Ale that was out last year. Um, the Jam, Roly, Poly and Custard will be included in a mixed four pack alongside the new, three new flavours which will launch at a promotional price of £5.50 reduced from £6.75. So there you go. And I think they're roughly about 440 mil cans, so I think they're a little bit bigger than the 33. So 330 mil cans, so they're a bit bigger, but £5.50 for four of them. Now, I have watched some reviews on these beers, which is fine because I'm never going to review them. I'm not going to buy silly beers like that to review them because I feel that if people want to drink them, I want to know if they're good. And go watch the other assholes that are buying them and reviewing them because I ain't one of them. Because I think they're a joke. And at the end of the day, I'm not buying joke beers. They're like novelty beers. They're like just stupid things. It's like basically people kind of buying kind of uh, stupid costumes for Halloween and things like that. It's like that. It's just novelty bullshit. And it is. It's, it feels like it's ripping the piss. And especially when they're not doing it at certain times of the year where you think, oh, well, maybe they'll bring it out just because it's that time of the year. But if you're just doing it in the middle of the summer, I mean, then why are you releasing this stuff? And going by what the, rev the review reactions are, most of them have been bloody awful. Most of them have basically said, that this is just piss water that's completely undrinkable and just dreadful. One even described one of them smelling like sick. I'm sorry, but how is that a good thing? And I've always said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And our craft beer breweries ripping the piss and just taking the mickey out of uh, this, what they class as the stupidity of craft beer drinkers thinking, well, the most craziest con concoctions and flavours we come out with, no matter what, you keep buying it. So we'll just keep on doing it. We'll come out with the most stupidest flavours and yeah, you'll buy it because you're fuckwits. I mean, 
is it that is that what they think of their actual their customer base because I've got to ask that question because I'm starting to think there's got to be an element of truth in that. There's got to be a, a certain level of content with some of the products that they're bringing out, especially for their, their regular uh, customer base. And as this is what's happening in America as well, is, is, does American craft beer produce stupid flavours like this to the same degree as we're getting? I mean, we're not a big country, but we seem to have plenty of craft breweries in this little country of ours. Firing a lot of shit and a lot of crazy flavours. What do you think? Do you think would you um want to try these beers? Do they sound attractive? Um, uh, would you like to see me review them? Because they ain't gonna fucking do it, so you no matter what you say, it ain't gonna happen. So <laughs> you can tell us oh that'd be good. I'd like to see you do that, and I'd say, oh, yeah, okay, it'll be it ain't happening. Um but yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's just all this nonsense and it's time that maybe they kind of if the grass beer industry wants to be taken seriously then they maybe should start growing up and start kind of uh, making real beers and not just hiding behind stupid kind of citrus IPAs and other types of pale ales and uh, making stupid flavoured pale ales maybe they should start making more serious grown up beers and actually acting with a bit more maturity because that's what I feel they think they should be doing if they want to be taken seriously is we'll start acting in a serious manner and taking things serious. What do you think? Do you think it's good enough or not? Let us know down below in the comments. But anyway, that's the beer news that we've had so far for tonight. And uh, again, a lot of it's quite negative. There isn't so much of the situation that we're getting. Um, and what do you think, obviously, in the bigger points? Like, what do you think about... Uh, some of the breweries reducing the alcohol of some of the bigger brands. I think um, Speckle Hen did it. I think Spitfire's done it. Um, I think some of the mainstream piss words have done it, so I don't give a fuck about them. I mean, basically, if you reduce all the alcohol and just make it fucking fizzy water, I think it would still be a better product than the shit they're putting out anyway in the cans. So, what do you think of that? Do you think it's a good thing? Now, reading on what I've read in response by some of the some of the companies that have uh, been reducing the beers, they've been claiming that they're doing it because their customers actually want it. Their customers have been requesting it. I don't know anybody that's turned around and says, well, yeah, spell speckled hen. It's a, it's a nice beer, but do you know what it really needs? It needs, it needs its alcohol content dropped by a, by a couple of points. It would really improve the beer and make it a lot nicer. Because we've had this discussion and it's, it's come out in the comments, and you think, oh, wait a fuck, seriously, don't talk piss. So, yeah, what do you think of that? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Do you agree with it? Do you think it is just basically profiteering by the, you know, the bigger breweries? Because I don't feel it's going to provide a better product unless it's still Artois, because it seems to be as the alcohol content goes down with still Artois, the chemical aftertaste kind of reduces a bit, so... Maybe they get close to zero. Maybe they do a non-alcoholic version. It's going to be actually maybe slightly palatable. So, yeah, what do you think? Let us know. And uh, thanks for watching. Cheers. And bye for now.